I'm excited. DBs is a fun group of talented players for this year specifically as well. We're going to break down the LA-based prospects from USC and UCLA, the standouts from the safety position and the corner position, and maybe some draft needs uh, for your Chargers and Rams. Spoiler alert, they both could be using some draft prospects there. Uh, Let's get into it first, Mad Dog. We specifically cover the UCLA Bruins. And I want to bring up a guy that he just performs in big games like no other. A guy that, if he was healthier, I think would be looked upon as a third, fourth round pick at the very least. That guy's Quentin Lake. And what I love about this guy, you know, he has the measurables for the safety position six foot one, 193 pounds with that big game ability. And you go back to the USC game this past year, he was the Reese's Bulls senior player of the week defensively in the entire country and he put up a unreal stat line seven total tackles two tackles for a loss a pick balled out against LSU getting two pass deflections that really kept the momentum going for UCLA in that second half and even the USC game the year before made a very good interception 10 total tackles in that game give me your thoughts on Quentin Lake because for my money this guy is an NFL player when you turn on the tape and it's pretty easy Will, absolutely. And I think he's the gem. He's the local gem at the secondary position. You know, you mentioned the measurables and you mentioned some of the highlights. I want to go back and double click to that USC game this year where DTR kind of started that game. Everyone forgets with, you know, the signature performance and the 62 points and everything that happened in that game. He was 0 for 2 with two interceptions. And SC had an opportunity to sort of blow that game open early, 10-0, 17-0. And he made one of the most spectacular interceptions on that third drive where he sort of, you know, reached over with his offhand, tipped it to himself, and then had the presence of mind to secure the ball, tightrope the sideline, and get a great return. And I think that's also what really separates Quinton Lake is when you look at him, yeah, he's got the measurables, But sometimes what NFL people miss is the proportionality. And, you know, it's not just the height and the weight. It's how is that height and weight distributed? And his range and his sort of length, his wingspan, is I think what will ultimately get him as an NFL player, get him over the top to be an NFL player, even in the situations when you get beat by a guy. You have two options, right? You you either have to play the closing speed game or you have to have the wingspan to be able to reach and deflect those balls to cover that ground. And Quinton Lake's range and his wingspan, his arms are so long that even if he isn't blessed with the world-class speed, he can cover that ground and make great defensive plays. And that's what we saw time and again on the film. It wasn't necessarily the interceptions. You know, there was a second interception of that SC game with Jackson Dart that ultimately went to Cam Johnson. It was a late deflection that put it in Cam Johnson's hands. 
you know, Lake is a guy who, when you turn on the film, it's key deflection after key deflection. Even in scenarios where he's a little bit off balance, he's a little beat, he can recover that space. And that's the thing that's really impressive about him. In addition to just, you know, the smoothness and his ability to sort of play quarterback back there for UCLA, he demonstrated a lot of understanding of offenses. He demonstrated leadership. Um, and, you know, he really galvanized that secondary in key moments. And those are all of those intangibles as well that NFL people care about. And there's this quote about class that I would compare to this specific situation. You don't know what it is. You don't really know how to define it. But when you see it, you know it. And when you turn on the film with Quinn Lake, you go, that guy's just a pro. That guy is a pro through and through. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I know injury concerns are very critical. Only played nine games from 2019 to 2020. Was always kind of banged up. But there is something to be said when the competition was at its highest, when the stakes were on the table, the the chips were raised, so to speak. This guy put his best effort forward and made some huge plays for this UCLA team that I know UCLA fans love this guy through and through, and I think his future is bright. For instance, we're talking about Rams and Chargers needs. The Rams are bringing back Eric Weddle this week, who is a fine safety in his prime. But, boy, I mean, this guy, he's not going to be playing next year. I think Weddle is just kind of a playoff experiment. If you can get Quentin Lake in the fifth or sixth round, for me, I think this is a steal because I think this guy's ceiling is a starting-level safety in the NFL if he could just stay off the sideline and the IR. What do you think about that? No question about it, Will. I think that, the, the, you know, you mentioned a couple things I want to double-click on there is one is you talk about the class and you talk about kind of being the pro's pro, and that's not coincidental considering who's his father. You know, I NFL know. legend Carnell Lake, who was one of the greatest defensive secondary players in NFL history with the iconic Pittsburgh Steelers. And so he has been able to soak in that knowledge Uh, from a very young age. And I think the word you're really looking for there is nuance. He understands the tendencies of receivers when they're about to make their break. He understands when guys are about to accelerate or decelerate. And that knowledge, that intimate level of knowledge of the game enables you to make up ground and have the anticipation, even if your speed isn't world-class and elite. And I think, you know, part of his... Uh, injury history some of those were fluke plays and you know I think that you know you can never sometimes sort of predict those things but when he was on the field I mean it's no coincidence that Drake London who is you know tore up the entire Pac-12 for terrorized the entire Pac-12 as long as he was there you know outside of one play he had against UCLA last year he was pretty neutralized in that game because of the over-the-top help from Quentin Lake. When you look at where UCLA was in some of these games against Oregon this year, you know, the, the, the Reds and the Johnny Johnsons and guys that had this spurt ability, you didn't hear their name very often in that game because of the over-the-top help of a Quentin Lake. And so he is someone that I think can help a team right away. And, and, you know, I think the Rams are in particular a very good fit because McVay is such a cerebral guy and he comes from a football family. I think him sort of appreciating the pedigree that Quentin Lake comes from, that could be a very nice local match. If you had to put a round to finish off Quentin Lake, 
where you think he will get selected, where do you think that would be? I think fifth, fifth round. Yeah, solid I, draft pick. Nothing wrong with going in the fifth round. Hell, you just want to get selected, right? Get that absolutely. deal on the table and then prove it from there. Um, the guy I want to transition to next, fellow Bruin, nickel safety, Quantrez Knight. And this guy was the vocal leader of UCLA these past few years after transferring from Maryland, Kent State, places like that. This guy's a tougher grade for me because he's a nickel safety. But, boy, you throw on the highlight tape of him, very few of those plays are in pass. He is always blitzing off the edge. And he had some very big games for UCLA this year. We're talking the Fresno State game, nine total tackles, two for a loss. He had eight tackles and a tackle and a half for a loss against Stanford. And he was just kind of a spark plug for this defense, making plays in the backfield, disrupting. That's the, that's the key word that I would associate with Quantrez Knight. This guy is disruptive when he blitzes off the edge. And it makes me think, like, can this guy – can he just be an outside linebacker the way he plays if he just puts on a couple more pounds? I'm high on Quantrez Knight. I think he is a specialist when it comes to his future in the NFL. But I do think there's a place for him, and I do think he's worthy of a draft pick. Give me your thoughts on Quantrez, Jamal. Will is so astute on Quantrez Knight. So many points that I completely agree with you on. When you turn on the tape, it was, it's the first thing you think about. It's like – geez, this guy's really a linebacker in a DB's body, just in terms of his demeanor, the way he attacks the line of scrimmage, um, the way he just sort of absorbs contact, wants to feel physicality, the vocal leader that he is, the fiery guy that he is. The concern that I have with Trez Knight is how will he fit in the modern NFL? And the modern NFL, from a defensive back standpoint, and most teams have sort of this general philosophy of, we want offenses to run more plays. You know, we don't want to get beat. And so, the, you know, the, so many defenses in the NFL, it's all about between the 20s, right? It's like, you don't want to get beat deep. You want to keep everything in front of you. You want teams to churn out plays in that 60-yard part of the field, hope for turnovers, hope for penalties, to get off station and be able to get stops. And then once you get into the red zone, really tighten up and hold folks to field goals. That's really the modern NFL. The problem with Trez Knight is that he got beat so much in the pass game. And he got beat quite a bit due to a lack of discipline and not going, you know, not going after the sound play, but trying to make the spectacular play. All of Trez Knight's sort of strengths and highlights all came when he was in a blitz situation, either going straight for the QB pass rush or in a run blitz scenario. And so, again, he is going to be, like you mentioned, sort of it needs to be the right team and the right package. And really, it's beyond, you mentioned the word nickel. It goes beyond nickel, Will, because, you know, nickel can be 3-3-5, nickel can be 4-2-5. And I yeah. think specifically, he's a 4-2-5 DB, where, you know, you have a four-man pass rush, and you can afford to then take that fifth defensive back and have that individual help in the run blitz game, in the pass rush game. You know, even at 3-3-5, you know, if you're going to kind of cheat with the defensive back, you know, 
with three defensive linemen, are you going to even get enough of a pass rush to make a difference there? Now you're exposed at the line of scrimmage and you're exposed over the top. So he needs to be a 4-2-5 sort of hybrid, you know, strong defensive back, kind of mini linebacker role. A guy like Belichick in certain packages would really, I think, could use him very well with the Patriots because, you know, the Patriots kind of bend but don't break defense. That could be a really nice fit. And, you know, Mike Tomlin kind of comes to mind as well in terms of the way the Steelers run things, um, especially in the red zone defense. So I think he's a package. I don't know if he's an every down NFL player and I don't know if he's going to get drafted, but I think he's definitely going to get a look in the NFL. Yeah, I think his ceiling would be kind of that late sixth round, seventh round pick. He's definitely a training camp guy. And to your credit, I was looking up the teams that blitz the most, and it was the Steelers and Ravens, the teams from those AFC North. And they're so smart defensively. Steelers, I mean, say what you want about the offense. I think Big Ben's over the hill. That defense is not the problem with T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cameron Hayward. They know what they're doing. Imagine a Quantrez Knight being inserted there kind of as a disruptor that they can just use in blitz packages, things like that. Baltimore, too. Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator there, is phenomenal at what he does. A guy that, you know, if he wanted a head coaching gig, he would be considered, seriously, if you wanted to take one of those spots. He would be an awesome fit. The team that I actually thought, and this is ironic because it is L.A., what were we talking about with the Chargers all year was the lack of generation of pass rush. Boza on the outside is a monster, but when that's all the defense or the offense really has to game plan for, they need to find other ways to kind of come through. They really hurt without that Melvin Ingram coming on the outside. If you can do that 4-2-5 and pick up a guy like Quantrez Knight for maybe not even a draft pick, I think it's worth it to check out for the Chargers. I like what I see from him. I want to transition into our final prospect from the L.A. area. This is a guy, Ben Fennel, came on our podcast. We asked him, you know, we know who's the SC guy you want to talk about. Is It's Drake London. He goes, no, I want to talk about Chris Steele. Chris Steele is a badass corner from L.A. And this guy came into the year with first-round hype. He didn't really live up to it. But when you really break it down, was anything going right for that USC defense this year? It was kind of a nightmare situation. I, I'm a big Steel fan after watching some film. He's a very fluid athlete, clearly built to play the corner position. And the thing that I like about him, too, is he's really good in press coverage, and he's very versatile. He's played corner, nickel, and strong safety. Two picks this year. This was a guy that originally went out to Florida to play. This guy was going to play in the SEC, where if you're a corner there and you're starting, likely you're going to be a draft pick for two or three years starting the SEC. So Chris Steele... After going back and watching the film, I could see why Ben was very high on him. Give me your thoughts on Chris Steele, Jamal. Yeah, well, it's Steele's an interesting one because it was such an atrocious year for USC's defense. And when and and primarily because of that secondary. And and so it's hard to sort of divorce Chris Steele from USC season. And that's what NFL people are going to need to do when they turn on the tape, as we have, to really look at the fact that he's got the measurables. He has the ability to play multiple positions, as you laid out in the secondary. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife, so he's got a lot of flexibility to his game. He does really well in bump and run press coverage, and he's sort of physical uh, at the point of attack, where he's really good in terms of kind of locking hips 
with a receiver. He's really good with his hands um, in terms of kind of the hand fighting in particular. So those nuanced elements he's quite good at. But on the flip side, you look at a team like Stanford uh, that isn't really blessed with the best wide receiver talent in the Pac-12, and they just torched SC and Steele in route to 42 points uh, in the Coliseum. You look at Oregon State, not blessed with four- and five-star receivers, got torched by USC and Steele. Not to mention the fact that, you know, DTR hurtled over the guy in route to his sixth and final touchdown. So he's definitely been on the receiving end of some really negative plays. He's taken the brunt of a lot this year. But again, part of that is the the rebuilding year that was taking place at SC. I think an NFL person is going to have to look at the film and the tape uh, and really see what he's done in high school, what he's done at the early part of his career, look at the measurables and say, how can we bring this guy in and rewire him to a certain extent? Because I think he's also picked up some bad habits from a penalty perspective, being at yeah. USC the last couple of years. So I think the physical measurables are all there. The physicality is there in certain spots, but there's going to need to be a rewiring that takes place at the NFL level. And the right team with the strong kind of secondary leadership is going to look at Steele and say, hey, we can take him. He's still clay. He's still moldable. The cement hasn't hardened yet. And the thing with Steele, too, is no doubt his draft stock dropped significantly this year. We did mention the defense, too, but I think if you're in the fourth round and he's still on the board for a guy that was a potential first-rounder coming into this year, that's a steal. That's a home run hit at round four because if you can get a first-round talent at that point in the draft, and let's just say it hits nightmarish year that happens in college football. We're talking about something similar with Sam Howell previously at North Carolina. If you can get Chris Steele from two years ago, that's a hell of a guy to add to your secondary. So Chris Steele, I'm hoping fourth round is kind of where I have him slotted at. Maybe with a good combine, you can get back in that third round tilt, but no doubt about it. 2021 was a rough season for Chris Steele. We're going to break down. Ratio in the fourth round is through the roof there, right? If you can get a first round level talent and kind of rewire him, with, with some minimal coaching uh, and, and get a first-round quality player in the fourth round, even if he ends up busting, that's a trade you're willing to make every time if you're an NFL GM. Hit it every time, man. And that is just the key to drafting is taking those upside prospects, even if they dip that late in the draft. I want to talk about the only safety worth talking about, Kyle Hamilton. And we were freaking out about this dude on our first draft pod. My God, I went back and watched the tape again. And for those listeners out there, I just want to say this. His tape against Florida State this year, where he single-handedly may have won that football game for Notre Dame, is the best tape I may have seen from any player, any position, period. Two interceptions in that game. He deflects one pass. That goes for a pick. And this is a game Notre Dame pulled out on the road against Florida State 41-38 in overtime. This man was the difference maker. The most impressive interception I saw was the second one that he had. They threw it close to the sideline. And my God, he ran about 30, 35 yards. Just the range he had. Tiptoe catch out of bounds, a la Antonio Brown. I mean, what more do you want? And you add to that, 
This guy's the biggest freak of nature we've seen size-wise at the safety position. Six foot four, 220 pounds. You know, the one kind of thing we were talking about last time was his lack of ability to make a big hit. Go back and watch the hit he made over the middle against North Carolina where this guy gets up. He doesn't even know where he's at. Like, it was that big of a hit. I am in the camp where if he is the best player on the board, this guy has to be a top three consideration. And, you know, we've done this before. We've overthought the process where Quinton Nelson, for instance, we said, oh, this guy's going to be an all pro. And he went to number eight. The draft is a gamble. If you have something as close to a sure thing as possible, I think you have to take that. And Kyle Hamilton, you know, things happen. I don't want to say he's a guaranteed 110% chance of happening. But out of every player in the draft, I feel the most confident about Kyle Hamilton having a stud NFL career. Madman, give me your thoughts on this guy, because to use your words, I am salivating at Kyle Hamilton at the safety position. No, Will, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, we talked about this earlier with, you know, on, on, on the sort of the earlier pod about Hamilton and for bringing it back to the L.A. reference. When you think about Kyle Hamilton, he looks like, he hits like, he acts like Taylor Mays of USC. Yeah. Now, Taylor Mays didn't quite work out the way we all thought he could and should and would at the NFL level. But Taylor Mays was perhaps the most dominant safety in the history of college football the last 20 years, this side of Sean Taylor. And Hamilton reminds me of so much of Taylor Mays. You talked so well about, you know, the key highlights of the year, Florida State, North Carolina. Obviously, those things jump out. To me, the key skill that he has is the recognition of when the play has been determined. And so whether that is a quarterback, let you know, dis- locking in on a receiver, deciding who that receiver is going to be, or there's some lateral bubble screen, or there's some sort of lateral run play. When he has made the determination of how the outcome of this play is going to be, his straight line speed to close on that He's like a rocket. It's unbelievable. And, you know, that's a different kind of speed than 40 time. Because, and that's, I think, what a lot of folks kind of miss in the draft. We all just want to say, you know, what's what's the guy's 40 times? 4, 3, 4, 4, 4, 2. The, The element that we're eliminating when we talk about 40 time, we're not putting anticipation as part of it. When I line up in my shorts and I'm ready to go run a 40 time, I know the gun is about to go off. But in the NFL, you don't know when the gun is going to go off because that involves a recognition of how the play is going to be. And Hamilton has this incredible ability of going from processing information to recognizing what it's going to be to then accelerating and having that straight line speed faster than anyone else I've seen on tape in a number of years at the safety position. And I think that is what makes him so special. It's end-to-end. You talked about that Florida State interception. Will, he ran 40 yards, you know, to get that ball. And yeah. to himself and, you know, got both feet in. That was going to be an interception. That would have been a reception in the NFL. Um, the one question, the one wart, the one blemish on Miss America, if you will, <laughs> with Hamilton, is, is he the thumper across the middle? 
right? And, you know, part of that could also be a little bit of self-preservation of not wanting to do that at the college level and, and sort of making sure that he was ready to go at the NFL level. He did it a, a couple of times, but we didn't see enough of that on tape to say, is this guy going to be the intimidator a la Cam Chancellor uh, when we've got guys that are going to intermediate crossing routes and some of those deeper inner posts? Like, am I going to feel his presence? But I yeah. think Will at the NFL level, and he's about as can't miss at the secondary position as you can have. He is the most flawless prospect I can remember. Just he checks every box for me. And I think the hit like the hitting thing, can he be the thumper? I've I've the North Carolina play, I bring that back again. Like I've seen it. He can do it, you know, and I think he's gonna let loose a little bit more in the pros. You know, targeting was a big thing in college because you get ejected from the game. In the NFL, it's just a penalty. So I think he's going to be a little bit more lax with that to go over the middle and make a play on the football. And God knows he's got the size to do it because, boy, I said this on the first draft podcast, the average safety size is about six foot, six foot one, 200 to 205 pounds. This guy is six foot four, 220 pounds. And by the way, he's 21 years old. He's going to put on more weight at that size. This is going to be a safety maybe by the time he's a finished product playing at 230, 235. Like, think about how crazy that's six foot four. Like, with that speed, I don't know. You know, and it's with to go back to flawless prospects. I remember Russell Wilson getting drafted, and his only negative was the size. And it was just like, if he checks every other box, you've got to take this guy. I don't know why people are waiting till the third round to take this guy. This guy is perfect. If he drops out of the top five, I'm going to freak out because, like, that is just a draft criminal. Like you got to be locked up if you pass on this guy, you know, outside of a team that may need a quarterback or maybe the Evan Neal, you know, of the draft outside of those, those guys, you got to take Kyle Hamilton. And I think if, you know, top five pick at the very least, we're going to transition to the corners now. And I thought it was going to be far and away. The guy that we talked about Derek Stingley, and we'll get to him in a second. I do want to say that I was not as familiar with our guy Sauce, Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. This guy is a freaking stud. And I just want to lay some stats on you. The era of the big corner, it's kind of the thing that they're looking for. It's the, you know, the three and D wing of the NBA to give a comparison there. This guy is six foot three, 200 pounds. And the craziest stats that I've seen, he allowed 95 yards receiving when targeted this year for an entire season. Entire season. And I know he played in, you know, the uh, smaller conference, so to speak. But, boy, he was matched up against Jamison Williams a couple times in that semifinal game. Two targets, one catch, negative two yards against arguably the number one receiver in the class. This guy never allowed a touchdown in his career when targeted at Cincinnati. I – listen, I thought Stingley was going to be far and away, and Stingley still is that great prospect – but give me your thoughts on Sauce Gardner because, boy, this kid can ball, and we may have the next Richard Sherman on our hands with Sauce Gardner. Will, I love the, the, the Sherman comparison as well. You know, when you, when you turn on the tape, and, and you said it so well, the, the guy that jumped to mind for me when I looked at Sauce Gardner is that he's Tredavious White but four Ooh. inches taller. Yeah. Because he just loves the physicality. And, you know, you can sort of the, – the pain that he sort of inflicts 
on wide receivers. Uh, it's not cornerback tackling. It, it, it's safety tackling. It's a little bit of linebacker tackling as well. He just loves that physicality. And what you notice when you see him on film is that he gives a little bit of room. He sort of gives the receiver the illusion of being open. And when that, and that's just an excuse for him to sort of rely on his absolutely exceptional closing speed. He has the best closing speed mm. of any prospect in this group. And, you know, then when he closes and then he hits you and he gets his arms around you, it is violent. It is nasty. And Sauce Gardner is exceptional, uh, uh, basically in, in all forms of coverage, but in particular that press man coverage. And, you know, he, he enjoys getting down there from a sack perspective, the forced fumbles, um, and also just the overall physicality. And so I really am high on Sauce. And, you know, when you think about – I love that you mentioned Jamison Williams – because, yeah, I mean, there's a reason Alabama couldn't really score for much of that game uh, was really because of not just Sauce, but the guy on the other side of Sauce as well, and I'm sure we'll get to him as well. But those were the guys that really made Cincinnati who they were these last two years. It wasn't Desmond Ritter. It wasn't Ford. It wasn't anyone on offense. It really wasn't even Fickle's scheme. It was the fact that they had two absolutely elite corners, shut down corners that allowed them to do a lot more inside the box in the line of scrimmage and have a dominant defense and have the ability for their offense to do things. Sauce is a game changer, man. He is nasty on tape. And I won't make you choose between him and Stingley now because we're going to get to Stingley, but I do want to hear your opinion on it. Boy, I mean, it is close for me. And the thing with Sauce, too, is, you know, he really added the effect of being a blitzing corner. He had three and a half sacks from the cornerback position. That is incredibly impressive stuff. He's physical. And another kind of comparison, his game reminds me a lot of Ramsey. And that's as high praise as it gets at the cornerback, but just the physicality. Because Ramsey's going to rough you up. He's going to—he's not afraid to lay you out on the football field. Sauce Gardner has a lot of that dog in him, the same that Ramsey does. So, boy, I could not be more impressed with Sauce Gardner. This guy is a dog, and whoever gets him is going to be very lucky. This guy, Stingley. Um, this guy had arguably the greatest defensive back season in the history of college football as a true freshman. And you made a very good point when we were initially discussing this with Ben Fennell. What, what more do you have to prove after that? He was saving himself for the draft. And one of the reasons I would only think about potentially, you know, putting him over Gardner is he was going week to week against the SEC's best. He's battle-tested, he's ready to roll, and he dominated when he was 18 years old doing that, not even close to his ceiling. I'm very high on him. You know, career 41.5% completion percentage when targeted. That's incredible. He had the highest grade of pass coverage by PFF at 92. Um, give me your thoughts on Stingley because, I mean, this kid is almost as good as any prospect I've seen at the cornerback position, probably since Revis, which is a big name too. Will he will challenge Jalen Ramsey for the best cornerback in the NFL within the next 24 months? Wow. And 24 months? Yes. He is that special. And so, you know, we talk about Gardner, the closing speed, the dog, the nasty, let's not get it twisted. They are not on the same level. 
Ooh, okay. That's special. And, and, and the reason for that is it's the ball skills. Look, yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you're talking about defensive backs in today's NFL, I mean, it's sometimes I feel so – I'm so happy we're doing this show and, and giving them their due because these poor defensive backs in today's modern NFL, it's like going to a gunfight with a sword. You have nothing. I mean, you know, with, with the amount that these NFL offenses are throwing – with the rules that are sort of really sort of favoring the offense, the PIs, all of this stuff. And, you know, PI being a very extreme penalty in the NFL. You do a PI, it's at the spot. It's not like in college where it's just 15. It's the toughest job in the NFL. And the fact of the matter is, Stingley does not make any wide receiver feel comfortable. Look at the tape. When was a time when a wide receiver had either inside position Inside leverage, any sort of separation, any angle for a back shoulder fade, any ability to sort of break on a hitch and go on Stingley. You never felt like the receiver was ever in control of that play. Go back and look at the tape. Even Devonta Smith, Heisman Trophy winner with Alabama, that Alabama LSU game. Devonta had a couple of touchdowns. One was on a bust on one side of the field that Stingley wasn't even on. The second one was probably Devonta's Heisman moment, that, that sort of catch that he made at the back of the end zone, you know, where he had to sort of tiptoe it. I mean, it takes that level of play to sort of get uh, a touchdown off of Stingley. And then it's the ball skills, Will. When the ball is in the air, you're not sure. Every ball is a 50-50 ball with this kid. You're not sure whether Sting- Stingley's sometimes in a better position to catch it than the wide receiver, and he's got the ball skills to haul it in. It's it's ridiculous. This guy is going – there is going to be Stingley Island. Okay, that will become a, a name. That will become a term in the NFL. I don't want to go to Stingley Island. Sauce Gardner is special, Will, but he does not – you can't build your defense around Sauce Gardner. He is a bump and run, you know, like you talked about, kind of the 3 and D equivalent in the NFL, very physical at the point of attack, great closing speed. You can't put him in zone. You can't put him in certain sort of spread packages. You just, you know, it's, it's not going to work. It, there's a certain sort of style of play that works for Sauce. Stingley, you can put him anywhere. I mean, it's like I remember the, the NBA analogy is when Bob Knight asked, you know, you know, are you going to draft Michael Jordan? He's like, I need a center. And, and Bob Knight's like, put Jordan at center. You know, that's kind of how it yeah. It doesn't really matter what you need. You got to take this guy. He's he's probably the best athlete, and I promise you, Ramsey's going to have some company uh, in two years. Man, and that is crazy because Stingley to me is up there with you know just the, the top of the the cream of the crop when it comes to corners. Believe it or not, I think right now I might take Sauce. Believe it or yeah. not, that's awesome. I think. I think Sauce is ceiling, given his height, the uniqueness of that, and just what I've seen him grow into as a player, like getting tackles in the backfield and how he matched up against Jamison. And this is like picking between like the Mona Lisa or the next best painting at the Louvre. Like you're, you can't lose, right? So for me, it's tough. But I think if they both reach their ceiling, I think Sauce could just be that shutdown guy that just erases half the field, like. A la Sherman. Like, that's my comparison to him. You can just erase that half of the field for six, seven years in the NFL. And 
boy, Stingley's going to be a damn good player, but boy, that's a tough draft room to be in. If you got to take it the first corner of the draft and both those guys are on the board, that'll be incredibly fun. I want to tie this up with a Pac-12 corner. Not as heralded as the other two, but I think a guy that really is consistent with his work and just has an incredibly high football IQ and is rarely out of position. Loved his tape. Not as much as a ball hawk. He only had two career interceptions, but to put that in comparison, I think turnovers are huge, but who led the NFL in turnovers this year? It was Trayvon Diggs. He had 11 interceptions. Who also led the NFL in passing yards allowed and completion percentage? That was Trayvon Diggs. Give me a guy like McDuffie every day over a guy that's going to occasionally get you an interception, but maybe blow you some games along the line with how bad his coverage is. Trent McDuffie from Washington, a part of that long line of defensive backs under Jimmy Lake that really have been trendsetters in the NFL. You know, your Byron Murphy's, Buda Bakers, you name it. Give me your thoughts on McDuffie because I think this guy is going to be a fringe first-round prospect, and I think whoever gets them is going to come away with a damn good corner that I would be very content with uh, moving to the next forward. Yeah, well, you know, I, I want to talk McDuffie. I want to double-click on this this sauce thing for just a second Yeah, between sauce and Stingley because I think we would be very remiss to not bring up Kobe Bryant as well, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kobe Bryant is just a huge – a huge prospect as well. And, and, you know, th- this episode wouldn't feel complete certainly without Kobe Bryant. The reason I picked Stingley over sauce also is because sauce had Kobe Bryant on the other side. Sauce didn't have to play in the sec and sauce didn't, you know, had another elite corner on the other side and Kobe Bryant is six, one, one ninety, all the intangibles, and what I loved about Kobe Bryant on tape was he was a professional corner. When you think about the technique uh, and when you think about craft, you think about Kobe Bryant. Just in the way he was able to sort of the way he shifts his hips with the receiver, where he puts his hands on the receiver, where he turns his shoulder, where he lifts his head. It's almost an instructional video of everything that he does, even when you look at the tape and when he's hitting guys and you see that shoulder, okay, and sort of between the shoulder and the crown of the helmet, go right at the ball and the ball pops out. His technique as a corner um, is real. When you talk about polish, Will, Cody Bryant is probably the most polished defensive back uh, and, and was in college football this year. And he is someone we, we cannot go without mentioning him as really an exceptional talent as well. And Sauce had the luxury of, of having Kobe Bryant on his team. Now, yeah. having said that, you know, um, you know, with, with sort of, you know, the last prospect we're talking about, great closing speed, uh, definitely someone who sort of disrupted a lot of the run game as well. A lot of forced fumbles, a lot of big hits. Uh, with the wide receiver position, would I spend a first-round pick? I'm not sure. That's fair. I think in today's game, you know, with the NFL being pass-happy as it is, corner is the toughest position maybe outside the quarterback and the, you know, uh, left tackle on the field. So I think I might do it. He provides some versatility. He's a nickel corner. He can play outside. He can kind of just be a be-all cornerback in today's NFL. I like what I see from that, but I'm glad you brought up Kobe Bryant. 
This guy won the Jim Thorpe Award for a reason. And that Cincinnati defense really had kind of the Legion of Boom. Speaking of Seattle once again, that, you know, secondary that the Seahawks had, that was just game-changing from day one. Your Earl Thomases, your Richard Shermans, your Cam Chancellors. Having those two guys, not even in a Power 5 conference, is legitimately unfair. And they tormented teams, and it's a huge reason why the college football playoff gave them a nod. Kobe Bryant was massive. Six picks in the last two years, 18 passes defended, and three forced fumbles. He's able to knock the ball out, which I think is an underrated trait for corners, too, that instinct to kind of do the team uh, peanut Tillman punch to knock the football out. And, you know, he has that. Kobe Bryant, either way, if you get either one of those Cincinnati corners, I think the draft room is giving high fives and praising one another. But that pretty much would do it for the draft of the DBs. Jamal, any more things to add? Well, I think, you know, Will, what, what a, what a, I think that the key here with the DBs is you have the opportunity. Look at what we talked about today. You have the opportunity to get value at the very top. You know, we're talking about first three, four, five picks all the way down to the seventh round. And with, in the right situation, with the right set of circumstances, the right coaching staff, you can get value all over the draft. And that's what's so exciting about this position in particular. And what you have to love about all these guys is just their level of attitude and commitment to the game. That was something that was very apparent uh, across all of these prospects on film. And it's a kudos to them. It's a kudos to the college programs that they came to. And I think these, this group is going to do some wonderful things in the NFL. And as Ben Fennell said, it's cyclical. You know, some years it's a great corner draft. Some years it's not. This defensive back draft, I think for my money, has three blue chip prospects that could be making Pro Bowl and all pro teams in their next 24 months, like you were saying with Hamilton, with Sauce Gardner, and with our guy Derek Stingley Jr. Last thing, too, is I wanted to look this up. I want to know why they called him Sauce. And it was nicknamed by a Little League football coach in Detroit. And his full nickname, one of the coolest nicknames you'll ever hear, A1 Sauce Sweet Feet Gardener. And they just shortened it to Sauce. And boy, when you hear you get the cool name and you match it with Elite Play, that's a marketing dream right there. And I'm sure both those guys are going to sign mega deals in the pros. Hey, draft is in session. We are officially out for episode three. Tune in next week. We'll be figuring out which position group we are going to do. We don't know yet, but it's going to be an exciting one.